You're listening to the Big Cast C-Suite Edition, your source for leadership insights and inspiration with John Jan Clays. This episode of C-Suite Interviews is made possible by the generous support of Kony, a leader in enterprise mobility and applications to drive digital transformation. Hi, everyone. John here. Welcome to this edition of C-Suite Interviews. We've got a great show for you today. But before we get started, I just wanted to send out a reminder that when you want to listen to John Best, Ann Leg, Glenn Servati, or myself, that you can do so by going to iTunes and downloading the app for the big cast. Or you can do as maybe you've done in the past, come directly to the website and do it. But I just wanted to let you know that we have that one other point of access and convenience for you. And uh, we hope it works for you. So back to today's interview, I'm excited to introduce to you Thomas Hogan, Tom Hogan, Chairman and CEO of Coney Incorporated. If you're not familiar with Coney, they are a mobility expert helping mid-sized banks, credit unions, and other organizations execute against your mobile strategy or your omni-channel strategy. I met up with Tom uh, when he was in his offices in Austin, Texas, and during our interview, we were able to talk about how he's helping credit unions compete against the big guys like Chase and B of A and Wells Fargo, and to do that, how our mobile strategies need to adopt ideas of agility, and that's more than just what's happening in our project management office or with our technology teams, that we talked more broadly about organizational agility and a topic that's been high on my mind lately. Also, we talked about the new relationship that Coney has with DeBold and some of the new products and services that are coming. You're going to be excited to hear about those. And then a good portion of this interview is Tom's deep commitment and discussion to servant leadership principles while guiding over 1,500 employees. So I really enjoyed my time with Tom. I think you're going to enjoy this interview, too. If you're ready, put your feet up, relax, and... Um, Without further delay, here's my interview with Tom Hogan, Chairman, CEO, Coney Incorporated. Hey, Tom. Welcome to the show. How are you? Excellent, John. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us today. In the introduction, I talked a little bit about how we met and, and the invitation to come on the show. And perhaps a good place to start, if you don't mind, Tom, is tell us about Coney, its mission, and where you're taking the company. Sure. Happy to, happy to do that. Um, first, we're a, we're a private company, um, but unlike a lot of private companies, uh, John, as you know, we've got roughly 1,300 employees around the world. Um, we're the clear market-leading pure play in enterprise-grade mobile applications. Um, we serve all industries, including you know industries like healthcare, energy, utilities, and so on, but uh, banking and financial services is our largest industry vertical, and it represents uh, over half of Coney's total revenues. It includes uh, marquee brands in both banking and credit unions like Regions, SunTrust, Huntington, and credit unions, uh, fortunately, like Partners, Logix, uh, and, and the Dow Texas Credit Union. And we also serve financial institutions around the globe. So we're not just a U.S.-centric technology company. We, we are the technology provider for banks like Development Bank of Singapore, HSBC, State Bank of India, and, and so on. Um, we're pretty proud of, of uh, the, you know, the quality of our offerings. Um, our software is, is rated best in class by virtually all of the leading research analysts, the Gartners and Foresters and IDCs of the world. So we think we have uh, solid software. Um, as far as our 
you know, value proposition, I think it's pretty simple. Um, um, we help uh, financial institutions leverage the power of digital with mobile applications that are secure, which is a big deal for your industry, uh, deliver the most robust uh, UI UX in the industry, um, and applications that are easy to adapt and change and efficient to build, uh, maintain, and evolve. And just for the the mission, uh, we're committed to becoming the de facto standard for digital banking by uh, extending the strength we have in mobile uh, to a true uh, omni-channel offering that includes other digital channels like the web, as well as other functional areas in a bank like loan and, and mortgage uh, origination. So our, our goal in the longer term mission is really to become the trusted partner uh, in digital banking. So that's kind of a, a quick snapshot of who we are. Yeah. You know, you've got a, a very unique perspective. You have a chance to meet with leaders across the business spectrum, but banking, as you said, both here in the United States and internationally. And Tom, as you meet with them, what are the concerns? What are the stri- strategic priorities that are coming up? What's top of yeah. mind for leaders? Yeah, and you know, like uh, all uh, CEOs, um, they have uh, no shortage of <laughs> worries or priorities. Sure. Um, but I, I would say digital is is clearly uh, a top priority across the the banking sector. Um, in fact, I think you could argue in a lot of ways that that banks and credit unions have essentially become technology companies over the past uh, several years. And the root cause of that push, John, I think has been the whole consumerization of IT. So banking clients uh, today demand the ability to easily uh, interact and transact digitally on their time, in their place, in, in a way that works best for them. But they also still periodically, as you know, want to interact across physical channels like branches and ATM machines. Um, In fact, I would argue that, you know, for the retail market and the consumer these days, um, the ease of of access and interaction and conducting business with you um, has actually become a bigger priority for your clients than, you know, a marginal spread or competition on lending rates and, and banking terms. Um, you know, it's interesting. Ten years ago, um, I think the small and mid-sized bank uh, would compete with the, the bigger mega money center banks with with that personal touch and in, in service that was rendered, you know, primarily through live physical channels. But as the market has moved uh, to submerge itself in digital, the, the customer service battleground um, has shifted to the best and most seamless customer experience. And that shift has turned the tables a bit on the small and mid-sized banks, uh, given the depth of resource the big banks can apply to technology. And in fact, you know, the research uh, now shows that, you know, digital and web satisfaction is actually lagging. So it's, it's sort of turn the tables a little bit. And I think this is a big priority for, for the, the, the mid-sized banks is how do they not just catch up, but how do we uh, go back to our core of differentiating on service by leveraging uh, digital to go do that? So I, I, I'd say those are probably the two most common themes I hear from 
executives in, in your industry? Well, it resonates here, partners. And you know, I just left a meeting where I was with about 50 of my peers. This was the topic at lunch that we were talking about. You know, based on those priorities, what advice would you give our listeners? Yeah, I mean, first is, you know, don't wait. Um, <laughs> you know, th- this movement is not going to pass um, and the innovation gap is just going to continue to widen. So so I would argue, you know, investing in digital um, is an imperative for survival, uh, actually. I think the, the, the people that don't um, are going to be uh, disintermediated or consolidated in the industry. So, so if you haven't started um, because of the fear of the unknown, take the leap, jump in and, and get moving. Um, second, um, and it'll sound a little self-serving, uh, but, but orient your strategy and, and your thinking around the client experience first and then work backward to legacy infrastructure and systems. So, you know, roughly half of all banking is now conducted via mobile or online and I think, as you know, that trend is accelerating. So said differently, instead of thinking about how you extend core banking to a mobile format or a mobile device, think instead about the wants and needs of your client in the context of mobile, optimize the mobile experience, and then connect to and pull needed data, information, and transactions from your core or your legacy systems or record. Third, uh, be wary of the one-stop shop pitch from legacy core banking providers. Um, you know, they're not going away and they are core to your mission. Um, and yes, you know, most of them have uh, cheap extensions for mobile, but those, those extensions and offerings from the core don't, you know, don't provide that rich UX the agility that you need to, to adapt and respond to the needs of your clients and also that seamless experience across multiple channels, both uh, digital uh, and physical. And then last, I'd be remiss as a, as a CEO of a mobile company if I didn't say call Coney. Um, <laughs> you know, we just think a, a really important partnership uh, about two months ago with Diebold uh, to increase uh, our global reach but also to reach uh, and, and be able to deliver that, you know, not only digital omni-channel, but, but to, to bridge the world between the physical channel and ATMs and some of these digital channels like, like mobile uh, and the web. And then also the advantage you get with kind of a non-core approach is you have the ability to connect to multiple backends. So you, in addition to your cores, um, to provide the richest set of experiences for a client, you might want to connect to other external data sources, whether it be things like, uh, you know, Bloomberg or things that monitor rates in the market or other, you know, other uh, offerings. So that would be sort of my list of four things I, I, I would advise. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to double back a little bit about the DeBold relationship. Uh, really exciting when we heard that. Um, Tom, I don't know if you have uh, any maybe first use cases of that partnership that your customers might be looking forward to. Can you give us an example of what is something that that partnership is going to produce that we'll be excited about? Yeah, in the banking world, you know, things like, you know, cardless transactions. So, uh, you know, you're a, a parent 
and you've got a 19-year-old at, at, at uh, USF or somewhere down, you know, somewhere far from home, and uh, Junior's, you know, depleted his, his account and, and needs, uh, you know, money for either medicine or food or something, and, you know, you know, the ability to go into a mobile app and authorize a $200 withdrawal and have that mobile app then provide your son or daughter a map, a, a, a you know, a, a visual map to the closest ATM to him or her. And instead of having to have a card, they walk up to that ATM machine and all they do is punch in a, a code that's provided on the mobile app and it dispenses the cash. I mean, there's an example of bridging the physical and digital world that, that's that's pretty interesting. And so, and there's lots of other ones. We're, we're only seven weeks into this, but we have a roadmap of, of ideas that I think will be powerful in elevating the, you know, the service and value you provide to your clients. It's an exciting partnership. Hey, changing yeah. gears a little bit, um, you know, on this show, we talk an awful lot about leadership and, you know, when I talk to folks, if I talk to 10 folks, I'll get 10 different answers on, on what leadership is. But, yep. you know, from your vantage point, what constitutes leadership? What is great leadership from your mindset? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I start, you know, there's a, a quote uh, that I love from Winston Churchill who said, you know, we make a living from what we get, uh, but we make a life uh, from what we give. Um, and I think our society, John, is is a little bit too quick, I think, to bestow greatness on people that have achieved, you know, a lot of wealth and, and fame. And I think that's a, a mistake as it relates to, to leadership. Um, great leaders fundamentally improve the lives of the people they have the privilege to influence, not necessarily manage, uh, and do it both personally and professionally. Um, so I don't think it's about your position on the Forbes richest, you know, 500 people list. It, it, it's really about genuine uh, servant leadership um, and a fundamental commitment to leverage your skills and talents and your time uh, to enrich the lives of other people. Yeah. Tom, don't you feel sometimes that, you know, the role of the leader, like your role to lead a great organization like Coney, it's a little bit of an honor, right? And you know there's a lot of people under different circumstances could be in that role. So it's like get over yourself a little bit here, you know, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the attributes of great leaders is is at least a, a healthy or moderate dose of humility to your, to your point. Um, I, I, I think it's hard to be selfless or a servant uh, if, if you lack at least a modest or moderate amount of humility. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So the the, the other big question that's always around leadership, so are, are they created or are they born? Where, where are you on that continuum? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, the answer is, in my mind is, is both uh, and yes. Um, and, and here's kind of my thought process. I think you need, you know, a couple of ingredients to effectively lead. Uh, you need, I think, a baseline uh, level of compassion and care for others, uh, but you also need a desire to assert yourself and to affect change. So you can, in, oh, you can be born with either or both of these attributes, or you can develop them over the course of your life and as you mature. So, you know, if and when you possess or develop the the intersection of those two traits, I think you have the foundation for leadership. So you can be born with them, you can develop them, and 
and so the, that's the answer, you know, of both. And can you teach leadership? You know, I, I actually think, um, you know, leadership is not unlike any other skill that we have. Um, it's a journey of, of learning, of assessing, observing, uh, experimenting. And, and no matter how good a leader you are, uh, I think you're confused if you don't believe you can get better. So I, I think it's it's all of the above. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you, if you can get better, why don't you share with us, if if you don't mind? So what's your leadership style, and where are you at on this continuum, this journey? How's that going? Well, it, it is. It's it's a journey, John. Is 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 as you know. Um, and I think you know we share a desire to to be an exemplar of of leadership and and servant leadership in in particular. Um, I make an effort to try to put the well being of the people I lead ahead of myself. Um, I would tell you it, it can't be lip service. Um, it's got to be genuine and actionable. Um, and I think it's uh, particularly important as the size of the organization you lead grows. So. You know, as an example, if you're, you know, part of a three-person law firm, then there's a bigger premium on the job and the tasks that you perform every day. But conversely, if you have the privilege uh, to lead hundreds or thousands of people, um, what you do every day personally is dwarfed by the impact you can have on thousands of other people. So, and by the way, you know, people are a lot smarter than credit for, right? And they're intuitive and they know, I mean, they can sniff out, they know when leaders really care uh, and when they don't. And I believe if it's the former, uh, the people that you have the privilege to lead will walk on hot coals and, and do almost anything to follow and contribute uh, to the success of the mission or the organization and I would also tell you that after, you know, to my personal journey, after, you know, 35 years, uh, while I, I believe I've clearly evolved, uh, I also know that I have an equally clear opportunity to improve and, and get better as a leader. Yeah. So that, that's a, a good segue. The next thought I was having is, so you're on the journey. You know that you can get better as a leader. How do you determine what are your strengths that people really rely on? They want more of that from you, Tom. And But there's also areas where you need to kind of get better, and it's your next opportunity to have a, even a, a bigger impact as leader. How do you think about that? Yeah, and I, by, by the way, I think, you know, that's the toughest question you've asked me uh, today. Um, you know, if, if you – uh, believe the barometer of leadership is money uh, or a stock price, you know, it's pretty easy to track. But if but if it's truly centered uh, on the, the bigger range of, of impact and things that we just discussed, um, I think the answer is less obvious. Um, there's no shortage of metrics, as you know, in the industry related to human capital, especially in this day and age of, of, of social networking. You have Metrics like Glassdoor, you have employee surveys, uh, you can monitor attrition rates, um, you know, all in addition to the you know, obvious financial metrics that, that CEOs and leaders uh, follow. Um, and obviously, those are all important, uh, but I actually don't think it tells the whole story. Um, I think the best part of a leader's values are the small, um, unremarkable, uh, and, and typically unknown acts of leadership. So, you know, giving someone a growth opportunity, um, demonstrating trust and taking risk with some of the people that you're 
privilege to lead. Um, stopping, you know, in an office uh, or in a room to just look someone in the eye, shake their hand, thank them for the job they do, get to know something you know, a little bit about the person. Um, the list goes on. And those aren't the big metrics that we typically track and manage. Uh, and you never totally know the impact that those moments of leadership uh, have on, on the organization. But I think ultimately, those are the things that separate, um, you know, leaders from, I think, great leaders. I, I actually, just a, a short story. I unfortunately, several years ago, um, a pretty good friend of mine and a colleague a woman with uh, a young, you know, six-year-old daughter uh, was diagnosed with with terminal uh, brain cancer, and I spent a lot of time talking to her and kind of the last, you know, six months before she had to completely disengage from work. And I was going through a point in my career where I was questioning, you know, gosh, you know, the impact or stature, you know, the whole leadership, you know, am I making a difference? And, and it was really um, powerful, you know, to hear, you know, from her, and, and, and this isn't a pat on my back, it just reinforces the point. She said, Tom, you don't, you don't understand uh, the, imp- the fact that you care and people know you care, uh, the impact that you have on the thousands of people you lead are, are, are they're small and they're tiny, but when you roll them up in aggregate, uh, it may you may not ever be on the cover of Forbes or Fortune, but that's what real leadership is. And you should go to bed at night and feel good about the, the impact you're having. So so it's hard to answer your question, John. Um, uh, you know, I keep pushing on the topic in, in, in an effort to get better. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, it isn't always a scorecard or some number you can point to. It's, it's a more intuitive thing. Yeah, I like that word, Tom, and, you know, intuitive. And you said our staff can be intuitive about saying, hey, you really are not connected to me personally. You know, they, they can feel that. They can sniff that out. And I think one of the most challenging moments I have as a leader is when I'm with somebody and I try to have those one-on-one moments and I feel like I'm not connected and that disturbs me, right? There's something between us where that you don't feel that connection and my commitment to you and, you know, I'll work really hard to make that right because that, that's not the intention. You know, I'm a big journaler and in my journal, one of the things that I have written there to remind myself about this very topic that you and I are talking about is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. You've probably heard that, right? Absolutely. And and so I could, could, could not agree more. And by the way, the fact that I think you get credit uh, for making the effort and taking the time. And in the beginning, there may not be that connection. But I think people really respect the fact that you're making that effort to, to drive that connection. Hmm. That's a good bridge to um, people are listening to this. A lot of more aspiring leaders, they'd like to to be Tom Hogan and do your job, what would you tell an aspiring young leader? What, what to focus on? Yeah, you know, uh, there was a actually it was interesting because you know I was thinking about uh, this this podcast uh, during the week and and I happened to see a, an article that you may have seen uh, that was you know posted on the internet where uh, Warren Buffett was providing was asked a similar question and providing advice to a group of of young emerging leaders. And, and his advice was simply be a good person. Um, and sometimes the simplest ideas are the most powerful. 
but I would say, you know, first, if you if you plan to lead and you want to be effective uh, and in a strong leader, you know, put the people you lead ahead of yourself. And then second, um, and this is a function of sort of the millennialish generation. I have three kids in their 20s, uh, one's still in college, two are out working. And I love the millennials. Mm -hmm. They teach me every day. Um, But they're very much a kind of a now, now, now uh, generation. And I would say, you know, second thing is to be patient with your progress, uh, both in terms of the pace uh, you know, that your, your leadership and influence is growing from a span or scale perspective. Um, be patient with yourself and then also be patient with your effectiveness as a leader. So, you know, you, life does teach you lessons if you listen and pay attention. And so, you know, you know, both, you know, the scale of what you do and the quality of your leadership I think in some ways are like a good bottle of red wine. They, they'll get better with age. So just focus on others and be patient would be my two pieces of advice. I like the analogy of wine. Just breathe, right? It's, it's happening yeah, exactly. a little bit at a time. Let it breathe a little bit. Yeah. So it sounds like Warren Buffett is one of the people that you look to uh, as uh, for inspiration. Any other leaders that, that you look to? Yeah, you know, I, uh, that's, a, that's another good question. And I, I started thinking about that. And I, I would say – you know, actually, the the people I would admire most, John, are are the people that you and and I and nobody knows. Um, you know, it's the it's the man or the woman in the in the shadows of public awareness in in media and the press and so on. It's you know, it's people who who lead and, and inspire that don't have big equity packages or feature stories on the cover of magazines. People that are you know, school teachers and public servants and people that found or, or run uh, community service programs. I mean, I think, you know, these are, you know, the real inspirational heroes and in leadership because those people are truly pure in their intent and they do it just because they care uh, and they want to make a difference. And they're doing it when no one's watching, right? They don't have the celebrity in the stage. That's just their, like you said, pure as is, uh, is a nice way to describe that that intention Absolutely. that you see there in those. Yes, Absolutely. And, and by the way, when you stumble on that and you discover it, that's so powerful because you know they never intended for you to see or know about that. They were doing it for all the right reasons, and you just happened to uncover or discover that. And to me, that's when I'm most moved or inspired when I think, wow, I mean, that is selfless, selfless leadership. Yeah. So, you know, as you're out there leading, um, everything doesn't go your way. And um, in fact, in my career, Tom, I've maybe learned the most from my setbacks. And they've really informed me about, you know, in what way I need to get better in my leadership style. Have you had any setbacks that you'd want to share with our listeners? And and what were the takeaways from that? Yeah, we'd have to extend the podcast another 30 minutes. (laughs) Hey, Tom, we only got 35 minutes here, buddy. (laughs) Cover all the setbacks and just, you know, I would point to maybe two things. One, um, you know, when I was a, a freshman in, in college, I, I, I love to play football. Um, I'm not very big and, and I had, you know, average skills and capabilities. And, and so I didn't get a scholarship uh, to play. And I went to a division one uh, school for my undergraduate degree. So I walked on. I was, you know, I just decided to be a walk on. 
and it's a job. I mean, it is, you know, division one sports is almost a full-time job. So it was a lot of work. It was time consuming. And then the worst part was I wasn't playing. I was a third string bench warmer. I was the dummy that people would beat up on. And, and, uh, you know, I, I got really discouraged one day and, uh, after my first year and I quit. Um, and then over the next several years, um, you know, as I sort of matriculated through my undergrad uh, years, I watched some of the guys that I that I walked on with that stuck it out. Now, none of them became all Americans, but they eventually traveled with the team. They eventually got some playing time, and 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 I, you know, I stayed close to them, and and they loved it. And it was such a big lesson for me in life on sort of that fine line between quitting when it's tough, but also, you know, there's a flip side of that of not being stubborn. Sometimes it, it's the right thing to move on. And, but really questioning myself, am I, you know, am I quitting because it's tough or because it's the right thing uh, to go? And, and the other thing I would say, which you, you just commented on, you know, I would say that, you know, there's old saying that adverse adversity you know, builds character. And then there's an even wiser saying that says, no, no, it actually doesn't build it. It reveals it. Um, and I would say that, you know, the biggest progressions, um, I've made from a leadership perspective have been from the tough times, not from the good times. Mm -hmm. When you, when you've been in a, in a tough spot and in, in the ability to reflect after that, um, in, in, you know, if I had a list of my five moments I was least proud of, most of those were in the tough times. Mm -hmm. And so learning from how you behave and react when you're dealing with, you know, high levels of, of adversity, um, you know, is in, it, it's unavoidable, but view it as an opportunity to grow yourself, uh, I guess, would be, you know, my, my two, two lessons learned. I love that notion and I love that story and you and I kind of share some common history about decent high school player, not so much college football player. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey, how about something fun to close? Tell our listeners, you know, when you're away from Coney, what do you like to do in your spare time? What's fun? Yeah, maybe I'll answer it in, in three categories uh, that matter to all of us. So, you know, one is uh, your mind, um, one's your body and one's your soul or your spirit. Um, you know, for for my for the mind, um, uh, just with the, the time pressures, it, you know, I almost don't want to get into a good book because then I don't want to put it down and it takes time. But what I do is. I love the game of chess. Um, I probably play two games of chess per day. Um, and it's, it's good cause it, I can completely escape from the stress of, of the, of, of the job. And it also has been, you know, it's, it's actually been proven that it's important, um, to exercise your brain like you do your body. So I love to play chess, um, for the body. Um, I love the mountains and the outdoors. So I enjoy snow skiing. I like the mountain, uh, climb and hike, uh, mountain biking, and just get out and get fresh air. Um, so, and, and kind of try to keep the, all the joints and parts moving, <laughs> um, which is getting harder and harder. And then last for the soul, um, probably two things. I love, I love the water. Uh, I'm people say, well, what kind of boating do you like to do? And I say, you know, I, I I'm happy if I'm sitting in a rowboat or if I'm on a cruise ship. I mean, yeah. any, any, anything that gets me on the water brings me peace. And then I like to spend time uh, 
you know, with my family uh, that I, you know, didn't spend as much time with as a aspiring young uh, leader. And now I'm a little bit wiser and my kids are all, you know, young adults. And I just get great joy in spending time with the family uh, as, as sort of my medicine for the soul. Well, I like the combination of uh, mind, body and soul. And uh, maybe someday you and I have to pull up and play a game of chess. That would be All a right. lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> that. Tom, thank you very much for taking time to visit with us today and help us understand a little bit more about the challenges around mobility and financial services and your thoughts on leadership. Uh, it really matters. I want to thank you for spending the time with us and also, too, for Coney's support. Um, there's a cost of putting this kind of information out so folks can listen to it. And your support that way, too, is really generous to make it possible. So I want to thank you for that as well. Well, John, you know, uh, let me re uh, reciprocate and thank you. Um, it's a privilege to work with you on, on both fronts uh, as a leader in banking, but also um, I admire your passion for leadership and not just talking about it. You're actually doing something about it and trying to share this with people, which is which is a fantastic, admirable uh, uh, pursuit. And I'm uh, privileged to be a part of it. So thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the BigCast C-Suite with John Janclays. To learn more or connect with John and the CEO Corner, please visit theceocorner.com. And we always welcome you to join in on our conversation. You can connect with the BigCast Network directly by tweeting us at BigFintech, emailing us at info at big-fintech.com, or visiting our website at bigfintechmedia.com. 